Hello everyone, my name is Nabila. And I'm Josephine. And you're listening to our podcast on U.S. refugee crisis as a catalyst to criminal network in 10 minutes or less. So in the, this podcast, we noticed that refugee issues are always relevant to talk about as it remains a debatable issue between human rights and national security. So in order to take you to understand this issue, we're going to divide our podcast into three. The first one, we're going to talk about the brief of the issue, and then we're going to jump into the concept of why this happens in the structural reasons. And third of all, we're going to offer some measures that can be taken. So Sefin, what exactly is happening in the U.S. currently? So the United States has the most immigrants than any other countries, with more than 40 million people born outside of the country. Migration from Central American countries such as El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras to the United States has been an ongoing crisis. The total approximate numbers of people that have fled this region from 2014 to 2019 are around 265,000 people, and the majority moved to the U.S. This migration from this region has been called a humanitarian crisis by the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. These people are fleeing for their lives as they face chronic poverty with economic power concentrated in the hands of small elites, droughts that have occurred for five years and destroyed the mainstay of their diet, and extreme violence with gangs and etc. Wow, that's really interesting, Safin. It's very unfortunate that their journey to save lives not as easy. Migrants moving to the U.S. are very vulnerable to organized transnational crimes such as human trafficking. In the U.S., the largest victims of trafficking between 2012 and 2014 were, were citizens of the southern countries, such as Central America, the Caribbean, and Mexico. According to the U.S. National Human Trafficking Hotline, there are more than 32,000 cases of human trafficking, and most of it involved migrants. The criminal networks, or independent traffickers, are known to target vulnerable women and girls from Mexico and Central America into sex trafficking. That's true, Nabila. In general, migrants could be lured into being trafficked because first, they need third-party intermediaries to gain information regarding immigration processes and many more. The need of third parties is really significant due to the complex information on official migration processes, employment and relocation options, and others. These recruitment agencies and brokers can simplify the migration process, but on the downside, they are expected for exchanges of exploitative services. The second reason is because these criminals promise the migrants lucrative employment opportunities in other countries. Other factors that support these are relatives. Most of sex trafficking victims from Mexico in the United States are trafficked by relatives or friends rather than by strangers. There are still many ways of how criminal networks could recruit victims that involve complicated processes. So, Safin, how can we really explain the nature of these refugees? How are they very vulnerable to this criminal network and why aren't these issues solved yet? Human trafficking is very usual in international migration and this is due to the vulnerable nature of the migrants themselves. People flee from their country to seek more security and prosperous lives. The conditions of migrations, migrants are mostly poor isolated in places that could not be noticed or monitored by the state or wider society, being displaced in displacement sites and refugee camps and others. These conditions made migrants vulnerable and thus easily to be exploited. Border crossings and irregular migration routes enabled migrants to be trafficked due to their lack of resources and support network. Yeah, but we cannot forget about the perspective of American citizens, because when we're talking about second-class citizens, 
there are prioritization of, of issue. And in the US most, with multicultural background, it's very natural to have competition of advocacy. This is why the problem remains unsolved for years because this is very highly politicized and prioritization of issue regarding second class citizens is not as concerned. What do you think, Safin? That is very interesting, Nabila. Maybe it's time for us to jump to the roots and whole concepts of migration and have a deeper understanding of the threats to nations and their impact on migrants. Definitely. So according to Stefan Kirstner, um, states inherently have the interest of sovereignty. And the sovereignty is defined as a full control over the flow of everything, including people, trade and commerce in and out of the country. Overwhelming amount of this migration overwhelms the state's capacity to provide public services, especially when not all refugees are eligible to work and participate in significant productivity because of things like language barrier and untrained labor. So the nature of human migration is something that is inevitable. But other than that, information sharing also poses as another threat because it opens up the vulnerability of states into cooperating with other states as they solve this issue. What do you think? Secondly, we cannot forget that there is a strong narrative of preserving the originality of national identity as a token of state's exclusivity. And under this characterization by Stefan Krasner, there, these so-called second-class citizens are seen as an interruption to this identity exclusivity. That's why we see a lot of campaign supporters with the Americans' first narrative that supports massive restrictions on migrant quotas because a lot of Americans are worried that their nation is going to somehow shift its attention to migrants and having to trade off this American's interest. With all those things being said, it is very challenging to tackle these issues. However, there are several measures that we believe could be taken into consideration by both the government and the society. Yeah, the first one is, of course, to recognize migrant vulnerability and provide a separate institution to prepare migrants prior into granting permanent residency, such as financing and training programs. This could be done by both the government and private institution to eliminate language barriers, illiteracy, and prepare them with basic industrial working skills. The likelihood of this solution exists through both economic and social prospects. Economically, trained migrants are beneficial for the state's productivity and income through taxes. Private institutions are also benefited by the abundance of workforce and through training migrants will be equipped with specific skills. Since migrants are offered with limited working opportunities, they are likely to sign the contract of loyalty and abide by it without the company having to worry about competitive outsourcing. This measure is complementary to diversity quotas policy that we already have in Cerisco in educational institution and also job fields. So the social prospect of the solution is that states need to know that migration is inevitable. It is a part of human escapism to self-sustain. Therefore, advancing migrant skills and language capacity is likely to erase discrimination and increase acceptance rates in things like job security, policies passes on affirmative actions when people realize that immigrants are as contributive as the rest of Americans. This will discourage immigrants from opting into criminal networks. The challenge of the solution is, of course, one of them is it involves political enfranchisement of immigrants. And since the U.S. is highly unlikely to reach a bipartisan policy when it comes to my immigrant, campaigns to favor a safer immigration policy are likely to be attacked. People, especially the conservatives, are not going to accept the fact that a huge amount of their tax money is being spent on non-Americans. 
Yeah, it makes sense because we have seen this happening in Trump's campaign of build the wall against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's advocacy for a transparent and human treatment of migrants and in the border. And even after proven guilty in court, only human only Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen at the time was fired, but the system of treatment does not really change that much. So therefore, transparency is a prerequisite for all of our solutions to work. Exactly. So I think in tackling human trafficking, we also need the help of American citizens. Thus, the second solution is making awareness campaigns and information sessions in public institutions such as education, transportation, healthcare, and so on. Also, to the public as a whole regarding human trafficking and the victims. These information sessions would include education on identifying potential victims in workplaces and on grassroots levels. Yeah, this is very strategic. So the more people are able to identify the victims, the easier it is for the government to data human trafficking activities in these countries and enable them to identify the criminals. We believe that this solution is effective as a data collecting system, as human trafficking is really hard to be monitored and therefore solving the lack of immigrant data in the U.S. right now. So that is the end of our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned maybe a little bit more about migration and its challenges in the U.S. Thank you very much. See and you. See you.